0: We are in this series called Who Is This Man? And it is a seven-week series. We're in week two. Uh, And this seven-week series is going to wrap up and end on Easter Sunday. And I think it's really important that we talk about something right now. And it's who are you going to invite on Easter Sunday? You say, Aaron, why are we talking about this now? Well, because I think there's this part of inviting somebody that maybe we possibly left out. And that's this whole prayer thing, like beginning to pray for somebody that we're going to invite. Statistically, they say that more than 70% of people will say yes uh, when you invite them to church, but Easter, somebody's—they're looking for a church. There's two times a year people show up at at, at a church, and it's Easter and. Christmas, right? And so Easter's the time people are looking for a church. Why not come with you? And and besides, we should be inviting people to church all the time, especially like is God doing something in you? Do you love what He's doing in you here in this church or the church that you regularly attend? If so, we should be telling people about it, just like we tell people about the awesome burrito we got at Chipotle or the amazing drink that Starbucks has got out right now or whatever else it is that we really love in our lives. We share with others. We ought to be sharing Jesus in the same way. Just, just, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is the difference he's made in my life. You should come check it out. Like we should be, be a people who are inviting someone to church. So you can invite people to church all the time, but, but, but Easter Sunday is a great one to, to invite somebody. It's a great time for them to get a very clear picture of who Jesus is and what he did. That's a Sunday that we'll, we will preach the gospel. We'll tell them, this is who Jesus is. This is what he paid, the price he paid for us. And, and it's a great Sunday to invite somebody that is far from God. So, so be in prayer now about who you're gonna invite to church. Amen, everybody? Hey, I just got your buy-in. That's perfect. I love it. I'll hold you to it. So we're in this series called Who Is This Man? We're looking at the attributes of Jesus. And the reason we do this series is because all of us have ideas about who Jesus is. And we, we, we get these ideas maybe from tradition or maybe even from what religion has taught us or maybe even what art has taught us. You know, art tells us that Jesus is potentially a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes and likes to look longingly off in the distance. Or that he's good buddy Jesus, right? Like, I mean, well, art tells us all kinds of different things about Jesus. And for the most part, these things that we've learned through tradition and learned through culture, they're, they're not correct. They're, they're not biblically based. And so we do this series because if you have a flawed perception of who Jesus is, then you have a flawed relationship with him. You're limiting your potential. And so we want to introduce you to Jesus. We want you to we want to go to the Bible, look at the text, see who he really is so that you can have a right relationship with him. You can maximize all that he offers in relationship with you. Last week, we started off the series talking about how Jesus has the most potential to be your best friend. That's one of the attributes of him because Jesus spent 33 years on this earth and only three of them were doing ministry, were were healing and, and serving people. He did 30 years of just life being a human on this earth and because of that, he has the most potential to understand exactly what you went through. In fact, the Bible says that he did do that. He experienced every point of human life, even temptation, And yet he didn't sin. So he understands us. And because we have so much in common with him, because he is like us, he's not a God who shouted, I love you from the heavens. He's a God who came to this earth, became a man, and told us and showed us how much he loved us, right? So Jesus has this potential to be your best friend. So if you missed that message, you can catch it. We're on iTunes or Spotify, or you can listen to it on our Facebook or even on our website. But here's our theme verse for this whole series. It is 1 Corinthians 2.1. It says, You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. Because this is this is what a lot of a lot of, of Christianese is about today. Even Christian television, if you watch it today, there's a whole lot of guys on there. And, and Christian television does good, like right. I mean, it's it's reaching some people that maybe aren't able to get to a church, and I think that's good. But there's a whole lot of them on there just going, you know what? I'm hypothesizing and theorizing about. They're looking. They're talking about new ideas about the Bible, right? They're not necessarily talking about the message of the Bible, which is who Jesus was and what he came to do. They're they're talking about things like, did Adam have a belly button? And I think he did, and this is why. right? Like If you ever watch Christian television, it's a, it's a lot of this stuff that just really doesn't matter so much. They're, they're talking about small little nuances in the Bible, and Paul's like, I didn't come to you talking to you about new ideas. I didn't come to you trying to tickle your ears and give you the newest news. He no. The verse continues on. He says, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. Yeah, I like that. Kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, which is what we're doing in this series. We're looking at who Jesus is, And he says, and then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. So that's where we're going to end our series, talking about what Jesus did on the cross for us, being the Lamb of God. Today, though, we're going to talk about Jesus, the attribute of Jesus that a lot of us love, and that is that Jesus is a miracle worker. Y'all, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is still in the miracle business. Amen, everybody? He's in the miracle business, and, but, and as much as I know that you'll love the concept that Jesus is a miracle worker, I know that there's this underlying tension there, because some of us, at some point in time in our lives, have needed a miracle. We've asked God to do something on our behalf in an emergency or in an important situation, and something didn't happen. It, it didn't happen, and as a result, it didn't happen in our time or the way that we wanted it to, and as a result, we are discouraged. We've essentially lost our joy. Maybe some of us have even given up hope that God will ever move on our behalf at all. Some of us have even gone so far as to make excuses for God, why he hasn't done it, or even exclude ourselves for his miracle working power by saying, Well, God, God does miracles for some people, just not for me. Or he doesn't do them for me because I must there's something wrong with me. He doesn't love me as much, or maybe because of all the mistakes I've made in my life, he's choosing not to do something for me. Like we make up all the excuses. Some of us have even just decided that God doesn't do miracles anymore because he hasn't done one for you. We we've, we've signed up for this cessationist idea that where people teach that that the miracles stopped at the end of the Bible. That that when when the apostles It stopped with them, with with, with all the 12 disciples, and with Paul, it was all done. And so they ascribed to this flawed theology, this flawed idea about who Jesus is. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus still does miracles today. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to your Bible, and, and we talked at the beginning of the year all about your Bible and understanding it a little better. I'm gonna give you one more tool for studying your Bible. If you wanna get the purest teaching on any particular subject. The Bible, we have this thing called the law of first mention. Go to the very first place that it was ever mentioned in the Bible and you'll get the purest teaching on it. You'll see what happens there. And so we're going to go to the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed. And that's found in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So they're all there, Okay. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now I need to tell you this, that there's no detail in any story that's found in the Bible that is there by mistake. It's there because it's important. And why is this detail that Jesus was at a wedding, the scene of his first miracle, why was that important? I'll tell you why. Because the atmosphere and the environment of a wedding is such that there are high expectations for the day. I don't know if you've ever been a bride or if you've ever been on the, bride, the, the bridal party or if you've ever paid for a ceremony or been part of a wedding at all, but there's high expectations for that day. In fact, the bride has had an idea in her mind of what this day is going to look like probably since she was a little girl. She might have even strapped on a pillowcase on the back of her head like it was a veil, wore a dress, gathered up some lilies from the field, and just walked down the aisle. Like she, She's been thinking about this. From the detail of her dress to the flowers on the table, from the environment, the space, will it be inside, will it be outside, will there be a gazebo, will, will he be wearing this colored tuxedo, and will, 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 how many people will come down, who all will be, that they've got this idea of what they want. High expectations on that day. That's the setting of this first miracle, and for you, you understand that. The setting for the miracle that you need in your life is exactly the same kind of setting that Jesus was in. They'd run out of wine. They needed a miracle situation. And you find yourself in that place too. You have high expectations for your life. But the reality is, is these are your expectations and your reality somewhere down here. And the gap between your expectations and reality, the difference between that is how frustrated you are, how upset or sad you might be, how much joy is taken from your life. Because you expected this, but you wound up with this. You expected that your marriage would be happy but, but it, and better, but it's hard. You didn't expect that someone would pass away as soon as they did. You, didn't, you expected that your kids would be different. You expected you'd have more money by now. You expected to be further along in your career. You never thought that you could get sick this way. You have high expectations. And instead, because your reality doesn't meet your expectations, you're miserable. You feel beaten up and let down. Same thing's happening here in Jesus' situation. He's at this wedding. And the real problem was that the wine had run out. Now, I've been to plenty of weddings. I've done them, a lot lot of them. I, I do about three or four a year, and times seven years I've been a pastor. That's quite a few, okay? I don't know if you're doing the maths on that. That's quite a few. And I've never experienced anything crazy at other people's weddings, but I can tell you at my wedding, the expectation was high. In fact, I got sat down. I got told a thing about how our wedding was going to look. In fact, because I was not participating in the way that I should participate, a friend of mine, I was expressing my frustration because my expectations were different than her expectations. A friend of mine said, here, he gave me a book, and it's called The Idiot's Guide to Being a Groom. It basically said, bro, just do whatever she tells you. Whatever she likes, you like. Hey, if you're going to be a groom... You're going to get married? That's helpful for you. That's just for free. That's not even in my notes. That's good for you. If she asks, you're welcome. I heard you. (laughs) Doing their wedding here in a couple months. If, If she says, what do you think of this, guys? You look at her and say, what do you think, honey? And if she says, I hate it, I hate it too. If she says she loves it, it better be the best thing since sliced bread. You better love it. I made that mistake multiple times. But in reference to how the wedding was going to go down, I got sat down. And I said, babe, can we do a fun song when we're walking in? And she said, no, we're going to play the wedding march. All right. What about after he says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, here's, here's, the, here's the bride and groom. Can we do a song? Can we play like we are family, right, because we are a blended family? She said, no, no fun will be had at our wedding ceremony. <laughs> I thought this was strange because I like fun. I thought we were a fun couple. I was wrong. (laughs) That was the problem, is I had a thought in my brain about this wedding at all. She had high expectations for the day. And so what happened was, she even told me, she said, no magic, because I do magic tricks, card tricks, and sleight of hand stuff. And she's like, no magic. I was like, what magic do you think I'm going to do in the middle of a ceremony? I was just told there would be no fun. She said, I don't know. Are you going to make like doves appear or something? I'm like, I've never done that at all. I've never touched a dove. I've never produced one poof. And she's like, I don't know. You just do things, Aaron. I'm like, okay, no fun. I got it. And then I had this thought. And that's where I messed up. I had a thought. My, 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 I had this thought. They had these things called Listerine strips. Anybody remember these? right? Like, they're, they're really slick, right? They just dissolve in your mouth. It's not like a mint, so you got it in your mouth, and you have a hard time talking. It freshens your breath, and, and it's like, a list, It's like you know, swishing with some Listerine. It's good stuff. And I, I gave my best man, who was standing behind, I said, listen, I said, when he says, before he says you can kiss the bride, I'm going to throw my hand back like this, and I just want you to put a Listerine strip in my hand, and I'm just going to pop it in my mouth, and then I'll kiss the bride. It'll, it'll be something silly for, for me and you, but I'm not going to honor the rule. i not doing something fun. I'm doing something fun, It'll be quiet fun. Very few people will know about it. (laughs) And then, (laughs) here comes the moment. I throw my hand back. And this dude doesn't put a Listerine strip in my hand. He puts the whole pack in my hand. Well, I got my bride's hand in my other hand here. And there's nothing I can do. If I brought it forward, I'm going to have to let it go. Everybody's going to watch me fumble with this thing. And then I'm going to put this Listerine strip in my mouth. And so I lean back. I said, I just need one. So then... He reaches for the pack in my hand and he fumbles. And it's almost happening in slow motion. And I can hear, like, like, you know, Carmen, Carmina Burana. I don't know if you know that song or not. It's like dun, 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 boom, 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 boom. Like, I can hear it. And it's falling in slow motion. It hits the first step. And then it hits the next step. And the next step and next step, and all the way down. And next thing I know, my best man is running off the stage to chase. The Listerine strips and this small little piece of fun that I wanted to have has turned into a thing. And he jumps back up on the stage and goes, You're on your own, man. <laughs> was not on my own. I was being my hands were being squeezed ever so tightly in front of me by my bride. You can hear it on the video. Maybe I'll post it for you later, because I had a microphone on so you could for the video recording. She leans in and she's smiling real big, keeping, keeping she's, she's so prim and proper in front of everybody. She goes, jerk. You can hear it. <laughs> no, I paid for that. High expectations. This is the scene that Jesus is on, right? High expectations. The wine had run out. Now, this was a problem for two reasons. Because the, the wine at the, at the celebration was, was huge. Because first... Their focus and their high expectations were not on the ceremony. The ceremony was the shortest part of it, is the reception that they really liked. The reception and the party afterwards, the festival could last for seven days sometimes. Can you imagine the catering bill for seven days of feeding people? (laughs) Dear Lord, like, that's crazy. The second reason it was important was because the Jews had a saying, where there's no wine, there's no joy. Where there's no wine, there's no joy. And what it meant was, what about the wine itself? It was more than just a drink to them. It represented, it was a symbol of joy to them. So if there was no wine, there's no joy. It's just a saying that they had. And, and, and that's, that's us. We find ourselves in, in environments of high expectation, let down, and our joy is gone. Our marriage is draining us. Our finances have robbed us of peace. Our kids are stressing us out. Your joy is gone. And in the absence of what you need most, you, you need a miracle. You feel this despair instead. And Jesus steps into this situation, a miracle is needed. Now there's lots to learn here, but first I'm going to give you three things that they did that we need to just kind of step away from. And then I'm going to give you a few things you can do to position yourself for a miracle in your life. So the first thing that they did that will that put you in the wrong places and that we often do is we focus on feelings instead of our faith. When the wine was gone, they felt a certain way about it. They're like, the joy has gone. Oh no, agony, pain, woe is me. What are we going to do? They had big feelings about the fact that the wine was gone. There's no joy here at all. There was plenty to celebrate. There was plenty to focus on, but they honed in on this one thing, how they felt about the wine being gone. There was a new marriage to celebrate here, but they focused on the problem instead of the solution. They felt a certain way about it. Problems have a way of doing that, don't they? They, they feel, they make us feel a certain way. And those feelings, man, it feels overwhelming at times. It depends on the gap between what we expected and what we're experiencing in our life. It can overwhelm us, frustrate us, defeat us, and we're stressed about it. Me, last year, last year was one of the worst years of my life. I had stress on the job. I had, I had physical stress. I mean, some of you that were here, the, the last month before the, the back surgery that I had, I couldn't even stand to preach it was bad, and the, all of the, the pain and the stressors that were in my life, all, there's feelings attached to all that stuff. And the feelings were so overwhelming that the only voice that seemed to make sense in my head, because my problem I had made my problem so big, my feelings about that situation so big, the only voice that made sense was to end my life. It was terrifying, it scared me. Somehow, that's how we feel sometimes, those those feelings, how we feel about the not having the miracle, the expectation versus reality. I've told you many times that our feelings will lie to us. They will absolutely lead us astray. We forget that as believers, we live by faith and not by sight. That's a choice. We can't control what happens to us, but we can choose our response, and our response must be faith. It has to be faith instead of looking at what's going on around us and being led around by our feelings. So focus on your feelings, focus on your faith. Second things they did that we tend to do when we have high expectations and are frustrated and needing a miracle is we take matters into our own hands. Mary was doing this. Sometimes we think it's better for us to do this. Well, God's not doing something, so I'm going to do something about it. God, I know I gave this to you in prayer, but I'm gonna go ahead and pick the burden back up and carry it on my own. You know, that's not possible for you to do that. If you're trusting God with it, trust him with it. But that's not us. We tend to wanna to pick it up and carry it on our own. Mary, she's doing, this. She's, it's not her wedding. And she's stressed about the fact that there's no wine. She, she's trying to carry the burden. She took the problem into her own hands. And what she needed to do was just give it to God. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna encourage you from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. It says this, in repentance and rest, in repentance and rest, repentance and rest is your salvation. Repentance for us is a call to stop doing things your way. It's to choose to do them God's way. He says, hey, do, do things my way. Repentance. And rest. Rest just means to stop, means to cease all the striving. Do things my way and just press pause. Do you know that when you press pause, you give God permission to act? That if you're willing to, your weakness is where his strength is made perfect. And repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Boy, we have a hard time being quiet when we're stressed out, don't we? We have a hard time when we need a miracle being quiet about it trusting god he said this is the better way repentance and rest you'll find salvation quietness and trust is your strength but none of you would have it he says he's talking to us and this is most of us this is me from time to time we don't want that we want to get stuff done we need something now he said, you said, no, we'll flee on horses. Now, by the way, this, is, this verse is being a little poetic. And in the Bible, when, when, when they're using imagery like horses, they're talking about your own physical strength, what you can do on your own. So he's, he's being poetic about these horses, but he's talking about, he's saying, no, you, you insist on doing it your way. He says, therefore, you'll flee. You said, we'll ride off on swift horses. Hey, guess what your enemies are gonna do? They're gonna be swift. In other words, you're gonna do this in your own strength, but your enemy's gonna catch up with you. You're gonna try to do this your own way, the enemy's going to attack you all the more. In fact, he says the enemy's going to attack you. He'll leave you like, left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. He's going to mess with you so much till you get to a point that you feel isolated and left alone even by your God. You want to do things your own way? That's what will happen. You'll feel isolated, separated from God. So what do we do to change this? Well, we have to realize, the verse continues on, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Do you know the best part of God's day is giving you a redo? He desires to do that. He wants to give grace to you. Therefore, he'll rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. If you're willing to repent, to rest, to pause, be quiet, be still, and trust, my goodness, there's grace, there's compassion, there's blessing to be found. And we want that. So we have to do things his way. Even when our hopes are dashed, when we have no joy, when we're hurting and we need a miracle, we absolutely need to come back to God. The third thing we tend to do is we exaggerate the negative, don't we? Like that's the biggest thing. We tend to take our problem and make it massive, make it even bigger than who God is himself. In our hearts, our problem is bigger than God and that's what we tend to just talk to everybody about but also to God about. It's our problem. It's the thing that we're frustrated about the most. And we turn our prayer time into a complaint time. And there's nothing wrong with that. God can handle your complaints. He can handle your problems. He says, cast your cares on me because he cares for you. That's important. But if that's all you do, I think you're missing out on the greatest thing. Because I think you can tell God about your problems, but it's time to also tell your problems about your God. We do this through something called worship. When we remind ourselves how big he is. When we sing songs like we were singing, like Ron saying. You need to remind yourself, you're gonna worship your way through this battle. He's gonna take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it to good. That was a good word, Ron. I appreciated you saying that. You need to avoid the trap of exaggerating the negative in your mind. Things may look dim, they may, may look troubling, but it's time to make God bigger in your heart than that problem. You say, Aaron, how can I worship? It's easy. Because God's promises that he's made 2 Corinthians 1 says they're all yes in Jesus. They're all yes. In other words, the stuff that you've asked him for, the miracle that you've asked him for to work on your behalf, the answer is already yes even when it doesn't look like he's it looks like he's saying no. When it doesn't look like he's doing anything at all, the answer is yes. He is working on your behalf. You need to get bigger picture here. If you were still, you'd see it. Hey God, show it to me. I talk about God's big picture, like looking at the back of a tapestry. You ever flipped one of those things around? It's a hot mess on the backside. We got, we, there, there's, there's thread going everywhere. But when you flip that thing around and you step back, it's beautiful on the other side. And I think someday we'll all step back and we'll see the tapestry that God has been weaving with all of our lives. But for now, we're stuck on the other side and we're looking at how it's a mess and how it doesn't look like it's supposed to look. And, and we're frustrated and we need it to look different. God's like, I've got this. He's trustworthy. He is working. He loves you. He wants good for, him, for you. Someday, I believe, we'll get to heaven. We'll see clearly what God intended. We'll see why he responded the way he did, why he responded in the time that he did. But until then, we can trust his yes, knowing that he's at work. So what do we do? What does it take to position yourself for a miracle? Now, by the way, I'm not telling, giving you this as a formula because I know you want a formula. You want to know How much money do I got to put in the vending machine? What buttons do I have to push in order to get God to do what I want him to do? That's not how it works. And if you're looking for that, you're in the wrong place. I I, I don't, I don't believe that's how it works. But I believe there's things you can do to position yourself to receive from the Lord. Amen, everybody? So if you need a miracle today, pay close attention. The first thing we can do is just do what Jesus says to do. That's how the story plays out. Mary realizes, you know what? I've got the king of kings and the Lord of lords here. That's right, my son is here. So what does Mary do? She goes up to a whole bunch of people and says, listen, uh, my son Jesus is going to be over in a minute. Uh, and he's going to tell you to do some stuff. And it's not going to make any sense. It's going to be a little crazy. Just do whatever he tells you to do. That's what the verse in John 2, 5 says. It says, just, just do whatever he tells you to do. He's special. He's a special boy. We love him. Just do what he says. It'll be okay. Right? Because if you consider that, God tells us to do some crazy stuff. Told me to start a church in a funeral home. Come on, somebody. He tells you to do stuff, and what we want to do when he tells us to do things, especially the things that we read in the Bible, something like baptism, we're like, how does getting dunked in the water make any difference? That doesn't really make any, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't need to make any sense to you. He says, do it. That's why we do it. We get baptized because he says, do it. There's a reason for it. You'll understand it at some point in time. That's not even part of what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to say is he's going to tell you stuff that isn't going to make sense to our brains. And we can't look at what God tells us to do through the lens of through our brains first and then to our hearts so that we act. If you continue to do that and you need to reconcile and understand God, then you reduce God down to the size of your brain. I don't want to worship a God that's the size of my brain. I'm not a smart man. I'm a simple man, simple church. Come on, somebody. You don't have to amen that loud. Like seriously, though. Some of you is laughing. That's my life you're laughing at. That's all right. But for reals, God, I, I, need, I want to serve a God who's bigger than my brain. We can't push what he's telling us to do through our heads to make it make sense. We have to go through our hearts first and our hearts, we just need to say, yes, Lord, yes. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't have to. That's what faith journey is all about. I'm going to say, yes, I'll understand it on the other side. Most of the time, understanding comes after obedience. And even if you don't get it, you'll get it when you get to heaven. Just obey. Why is this the most important point, and why is it the first one? Because if you don't do this one, the rest of them just won't make any sense for you. If you're not willing to let Jesus be Lord and let his ways be your ways, none of the rest of it's going to make sense. Isaiah 55 says, this plan of mine is not what you should work out, would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. God's God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts aren't like ours. He's not a human, he's not a man. He knows everything. He he knows everything. We know a small percent of knowledge in this world, of everything there is to know. We need to trust him. When he says yes, do it, but too many of us are looking for a formula. Too so many of us are looking to analyze it. We want to figure it out. Do you know that, that companies understand this, and that's why they market to us the way that they market to us? Nike's been doing it to us for years. If you want to dunk like, like Michael Jordan, who, by the way, is the GOAT? It isn't LeBron James. It's Michael Jordan. I just wanted to set that record straight. <clears throat> Don't care. Stage, microphone, that's all that matters. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. But well, they said, if you want to dunk like Jordan, you want to play like Jordan. You gotta have the shoes. You, if you want to play like LeBron, if you want to play like Kobe, like Magic Johnson, like Patrick Ewing, you gotta get the shoes. It's all about the shoes. I'm gonna tell you something, false. Because I got my first pair of Nikes because of this advertising, and I got on the court, and the only handles I had were the ones on my side. Yeah. My love handles. We're looking for a formula. We're looking for a way to figure it out, and God's not that way. God, God, he's just not that way. People tried to do the same thing with Jesus. Jesus was healing people, and they noticed that when Jesus healed people, that he touched people. So this one guy brings his blind friend to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, do the touch thing. Hey, come on, do that thing you do where you touch them and and heal my buddy. And Jesus took this opportunity to show him, you're not gonna figure me out. This is not about my touch. This is about me and what I want to do in this guy's life. So Jesus goes. Oh. Now, I don't know about you. Being blind means I can't see you. <coughs> out, that one out. got me. <coughs> Wow. Left me with a little tickle back there. John, you come up here and finish this. <coughs> I'm a blind guy and I can't see what you're doing, but I can hear that. I can hear the motion of the mud. I can hear that you're coming towards me with it. And I can certainly feel it being smeared on my face. <laughs> I'm blind. I'm not dumb. (laughs) And Jesus chooses to not be formulaic, to not do the hand thing. Some of us, we need an answer to why did Jesus spit on the ground and do that. And if you're one of those people, if you need to understand the why, you're probably not going to be somebody who's going to receive a miracle at all. Because if you need to know the why before you let him smear mud on your face or touch you or do whatever he's going to do in order for you to get your miracle you need to understand it, you're not positioning yourself. We need to just do whatever Jesus said. God's bigger than you. He knows more than you. So do whatever Jesus tells you to do. The second thing you need to do is focus on what God wants to do in you. Man, this is a big deal. You know that while you're going through your pain, God's using it for your purpose. He'll take the mess that you've been and turn it into your message. He'll take the trial that you're walking through and turn it into your testimony. He'll do that stuff. Thanks, John. God will start working on your behalf. Start working something out in you while you're going through the pain. Many of us, we want to abort that process because we we don't like pain. We're more concerned about comfort, but God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And so he wants to teach you something while you're going through things. We don't like that. We don't like that part of God. But, But that's who he is. While you're waiting on your miracle, God may possibly be delaying until you learn what he wants to teach you, because he's a good father. Now, as a father, I don't think God brought any of the pain that you're facing into your life. We live in a fallen world. There is sickness, there is disease, there is sin, there's all this stuff around us that happens. But God will use what the enemy meant for evil. He'll turn it into good in your life. And it's up to us. To turn and look and say, God, what are you trying to teach us in this moment? The hardest moment, the hardest year I've ever had was last year, and through that I learned something. I learned to trust God more. You know, we sing songs about that. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust you more. Man, you want to learn to trust God more? You're going to walk through some stuff. It's easy to trust when things are going well, and when you walk, when I walked through what I walked through last year, I learned to trust that he loves me and how he wanted to love me, to see the beautiful tapestry that he was weaving with my life and with other people's lives around me. I walked away from that time period transformed. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. I'm a better leader. I think I'm a better preacher too. I pray better for you because I understand something. I learned something. I walked through something that was hard. John two six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding for from twenty to thirty gallons. You'll notice that Jesus uses these, tells them to fill them up with water, and that's where he's going to turn the water into wine. This again is important because those those basins were used for ceremonial washing. When you came to church, you were supposed to wash up. It was a ritual. It was religion. It was dead. It meant nothing to anybody. It's just something they were supposed to do. They even had somebody standing there to make sure you did it right. Could you imagine? You had to wash. And if you let the water drip off this way, eh, you did it wrong, go back and do it again. You had to wash and let it drip off this way. It was dead religion to them. And Jesus says, go take that thing. Go take that thing that's not making an impact in your life, that thing that it's supposed to help you connect with me. He says, and let's put some joy back in it. Because remember, the wine is the joy. And the Jews of the day, the people that, the, the people that were that were filling it, that drew it out and it had turned into wine, they would have understood it. They would have got it. Jesus is doing what we call a twofer. He's doing the miracle, but he's also teaching something. That's what God does with us. The miracle's on its way. Fo- focus on what he's doing in you while you wait. Peter says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We don't like that stuff, man. He said, These have come so that you are faith, which, by the way, it's of greater worth than gold, even though it perishes. Even though refined by fire, that's the purest form of gold. Even though this stuff, it's more valuable than that. It may be proved genuine. It may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed, pain has purpose, guys. Ask God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? In this moment of frustration, when I'm waiting on my miracle, what what is it you want to teach me? He wants to develop you in that. The next two things I'll give them to you quickly. You need to believe the unbelievable. You want to posture yourself for a miracle? It's time to believe the unbelievable. The story continues. It says, then he told told them, Jesus talking to the guys who filled the thing with water, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. If they hadn't believed that he was going to do the impossible, they would have said this is just water because it was water until they drew it out. It was water until they believed he was about to do the impossible. We need to begin to believe that he'll do the impossible. When Jesus was faced with this time and time again, one specific place that he responded to the impossible, when man is like, is this possible? Jesus said, said, man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So we can believe the unbelievable, believe that he can, and then we need to expect the best. Not just believe that he can, but believe that he will. In the last part of the story it says everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. This is the ceremony master. This is the guy who's now drinking the water that had been turned to wine. He says, "But you have saved the best till now," and I think God is saving the best till now. You can believe that He can, but you can believe that He also will. Why? Because, because of this verse. Not him who's able. Some of you have forgotten that He's able. To him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work, where? It's in us. It's in us. He's able to do more than we can imagine. Do whatever he tells you. Focus on what he's doing in you. Believe the unbelievable and expect the best. Let's pray. Father, today I know there's people in this room that need miracles. They're physical, they're, They're for their health, health of their marriage, the health of their finances, for their mental health. They they need a miracle at home with their kids. Lord, whatever it may be, I know that as we wait on a miracle, sometimes we get exhausted. Sometimes we lose hope. Sometimes we lose faith. Today, I pray that their spirits would be encouraged in Jesus' name. Lord, that they would begin to believe again, that they would begin to hope again. Lord, for whatever is broken in their lives, that, that you still are in the miracle business. Lord, that I, and as we take that journey, as we pick up that hope again, as we trust you with our lives, Lord, I pray that as you tell us what to do, we be obedient to that. Lord, that we, we would ask the question, be faithful to it. Lord, what are you teaching us? So that we can learn, that we can believe you for the impossible and expect the best because even if we don't receive it here on this earth, we'll receive it in heaven. We'll be healed completely in heaven. We'll be restored completely in heaven. And heaven's way longer than this earth. So God, may we just be encouraged today that you're still in the miracle business. And as we continue to pray in this moment, there are people in this room, you need to understand the greatest miracle God ever did for you was sending his son Jesus to live, to die, to rise from the dead for you. He paid a price for you so that you could be forgiven. You could be made brand new, transformed. It says the way to, to receive that gift of salvation being restored, being forgiven, is simply to make Jesus Lord of your life, making a statement, God, I'm going to let you tell me what to do from here on out. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. That's where your miracle starts, because that's where everything changes. No, you're not going to be perfect. Everything's not going to be right, but you're going to be a work in progress, and God's going to begin working on your heart and your life. You'll become transformed. If you're ready to have that, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'll lead you in it. But if you're here today and you're ready to make that commitment, maybe some of you, you've walked away from God and it's time to come back. If you're ready to make that commitment, would you just lift up your hand and do that now? Be bold. Be brave. Say, Aaron, that's me. I'm here today. I need to do that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be bold. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. So proud of these young men. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Let's pray together, everybody, out loud. Jesus, I need you to do a miracle. Do a work in my life. Forgive me. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.